right, as Lucas said, we're going to read um, from the book of Luke, uh, chapter 7, uh, verses 18 to 35, and it's on page 730 on our, in our Bibles. Luke 7, 18 to 35. John's disciples told him about all these things. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, Are you the one who, is, who was to come, or should we expect someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask you, Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sickness, and evil spirits, and even gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. After John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes. No, these who wear, those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. But what did you go out and see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of, of women, there's no one greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. All the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' word, acknowledged that God's way was right, because they had been baptized by John. But the Pharisees and experts in the law rejected God's purpose for them, because they had not been baptized by John. To what, then, can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other. We play the flute, we play the flute for you. You, do, you did not dance. We sang dir a dirge, and you did not cry. But John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine. And you say he was a demon. The son of man came eating, drinking, and you say he is a glutton and drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by all her children. This is the word of the Lord. Allow me to pray as we come to this passage together. If you have your Bibles there, keep them open to that passage. We'll make reference to it as we go along. But uh, Father, thank you that you speak clearly in your word as we uh, pay attention to it. Please help us to pay attention to what you would say to us this morning. Please help me to speak uh, a message that would be glorifying to you. 
In Jesus' name, amen. As you read the Gospels, you often find Jesus meeting people who are desperate along the way. Um, up to this point in Luke 7, Jesus has crossed paths with uh, two people who were desperate. You might remember a, a centurion whose servant was very, very ill on the point of death came to Jesus, uh, begging him to heal his servant. And a, a widow, the widow of Nain, came to Jesus whose son was dead. Uh, and Jesus helped her. And um, as you read those accounts, you would find a, a familiar progression, really. A person comes to Jesus with a great need, perhaps a little faith, and Jesus performs a miracle that addresses their need. And then they and, and the people around them are amazed, and their, their, faith, their faith increases. If you were to imagine a graph of faith in Jesus over the course of the Gospels, it's kind of steadily going up, and when he does one of these miracles, it jumps, and then it goes up a little bit more, and, and then another miracle, and it jumps, and, and faith constantly increasing and progressing. That's the image that you get. And in general, I think that's the kind of faith that we want, isn't it? A, a faith that kind of generally increases, sometimes in jumps, sometimes steadily and slowly, but is, is all going in the right direction, always increasing. But this week's story, I think, is different than that. Rather than an ever-increasing faith, this week we face the reality of doubt in the person of John the Baptist. As much as we might like there to be a, a linear progression of faith, growing steadily year by year, most of us will, at, at some point, find ourselves struggling. Struggling to hold on to what little faith we maybe still have. Even those of us who have at certain points in our lives been absolutely convinced that we have seen God at work in my life. Well, at other times we can think, maybe I was just a bit too excited. Maybe I've been mistaking coincidences for God's action. Am I really sure about Jesus? Doubt is a normal, if unwelcome, part of the Christian life. But if we, uh, as we see in this morning's reading from Luke 7, there are at least two kinds of doubt, one of which is useful and one of which is destructive. Uh, we might call the first an, an inquisitive doubt and the latter a dismissive doubt. So as we look at this passage together, I just want to draw out some thoughts under two headings. An inquisitive doubt, this is the first heading, an inquisitive doubt leads us back to Jesus and forward in faith. And secondly, a dismissive doubt doesn't lead us anywhere at all. So first, an inquisitive doubt that leads us back to Jesus and forward in faith. Many of you will be familiar with John the Baptist. Uh, so the, you see in this story the, the surprise straight away. But just in case there are some who might not quite remember who he is, allow me to give you a little recap. 
John was the cousin of Jesus. In um, Luke chapter 1, their stories are tied together even from their mother's womb. Mary goes to visit Elizabeth, who's pregnant with John. Mary's pregnant with Jesus. And John leaps in his mother's womb as Jesus uh, in Mary approaches. And it isn't until chapter 3 that we get a real sense of who John is. He was a bit of a wild man. He lived in the wilderness. He wore a camel hair tunic. He ate locusts and wild honey. And he called all Israel to be baptized with water as a sign of repentance. But his primary message was that the long-promised Messiah was coming soon, and according to John, when he did, you had better be ready for the day of God's wrath. Because when the Messiah comes, he's coming with wrath, says John. Well, the day came when, when Jesus went out to be baptized in the desert. He went out to John, and as John sees Jesus approach, he, sa- he cries out, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus was baptized, and the clouds parted in the sky. The Holy Spirit descended on Jesus like a dove, and the Father in heaven spoke from the heavens and said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And John was there. He was a witness. He was right front and center. And not long after that, John got himself locked up by Herod. He was a local ruler. He, he got himself locked up because he was publicly calling out Herod for a sex scandal involving his brother's wife. So at the beginning of our story, sometimes le- sometime later, that's where John is as he speaks to his disciples. He's in prison. He's languishing in jail. And somewhat incredibly, verse 19 says, he sent them to the Lord to ask, Are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? How could he ask that? His disciples had told him about the miracles Jesus was performing. He had heard God the Father speak from heaven. And yet here we are, at most a couple years later, and he's doubting. Why is that? Well, I think those verses that I read to you from Isaiah 35 at the beginning of the service shed some light on that. See, there and in many other places in the Old Testament, the prophets proclaim the coming Messiah. And they proclaim that when he comes, he will have a twofold purpose. He will unleash God's wrath on the wicked. And he will bring God's protection and salvation to the righteous. That's what all the prophets foretold. That's what John expected as the foremost of the prophets. Isaiah 35 says this, let me remind you, say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come to save you. And then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and uh, the deaf shall hear, and, and so forth. So as John sits alone in his prison cell with his life under threat by this perverse ruler, his mind begins to wonder, shouldn't 
shouldn't the Messiah be helping me here? Surely, Herod would be one of the first ones to be struck down when the Messiah comes. Surely, the Messiah wouldn't allow me to suffer like this. Yet, Jesus isn't doing anything for me. But I heard God speak, didn't I? Or did I? The desert sun was hot that day. Maybe, maybe I got it all wrong. And isn't that just what suffering does to us? What suffering and difficulty do, even to faithful Christians? As we pray and we hope that God will deliver us and yet nothing happens, we can begin to think, well, maybe, maybe I got it all wrong. Maybe God doesn't care about me. Maybe my prayers just kind of bounce off the ceiling. Surely God would answer me if he were listening, we can think. Our suffering can, can lead us to lower our gaze and look inward and be struck by darkness and silence. I think that's what John experienced in prison. Yet in his doubt, John sends these questioners to Jesus. And look how Jesus answers. Verse 21, at that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and he gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. It's as though Jesus says to John, John, I know you're suffering in prison. And I know you're disappointed, but, but lift up your eyes. Listen to what your friends have seen. What they've, what they've observed happening beyond your prison walls. See the amazing things that I've been doing in the lives of others. The, the blind see, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. I've not done what you've expected, John, but it doesn't mean your faith has been misplaced. At the promised day of wrath, it will come. Herod will be dealt with. But don't ignore the mercy that's here already. I'm the coming one, so open your eyes to see what I am doing rather than what I'm not doing. Blessed is the man who doesn't fall away on account of me. And if your faith is faltering this morning, I'd like to encourage you to do the same. Maybe you're struggling to understand why God won't just give you that, that deal that would really make your finances come out this year. Or the children that you've hoped for for a long time, or the healing that you desperately want and, and desperately need. As good as those things would be, as much as we might desire them, 
Jesus hasn't promised to do everything that we want him to do. But it doesn't mean he's doing nothing. So in our bewilderment, in our disappointments, we need to lift our eyes to Jesus to see what God is doing in the world. Because everything that Jesus promised he will accomplish, he will accomplish in his own time, in his own way, because he's God. So perhaps you've been praying for a friend or a family member for a long time that they might come to faith in Jesus. But there just doesn't seem to be any progress. And and you know that Jesus has promised he'll build up his church and call people to himself, but you just don't see it happening. Why won't that person budge? Well, don't be discouraged. And don't doubt his promises. Open your eyes to see how he is fulfilling what he's promised, how he's doing what he's promised. See how slowly, one by one, he's been adding to his church here at Resurrection. Or just a bit further afield, across the border in in China, see how the church grows despite persecution. God is building his church. Don't let your personal disappointments and sadnesses about the individuals you would like to see come to faith blind you to the work that God is so kindly doing, both here and abroad. And as a brief aside, I think it, this is one of the reasons it's so important to be part of a local church a regular member of a local church, because when things are going wrong in your life, when you're wondering whether Jesus is really there, whether he's really listening, whether he's really doing anything in the world, when you come together with other believers and you hear about what he's been doing in his life and her life and uh, their family, you'll be reminded to lift your eyes from the the four walls of your prison cell, from the, the pain that's causing you to look inward, and you'll see, oh, Jesus is active. Even if I can't see how in my life right now, I know he's active. And a podcast, a a viral Instagram post, or or things like that beamed in from the other side of the world, however impressive the story will be, it will not be as helpful to you as the person sitting next to you, turning to you and saying, do you know what God has done in my life recently? That's what's going to help you through this present darkness. We must not allow our disappointments and our doubts to push us away from Christ, but to push us back to Jesus, to reassess our expectations and to see what he is doing. It's only as we take our doubts back to Christ that he will use them to move us forward in faith. And he promises blessing to anybody who doesn't allow their disappointment, their sadness, to cause them to turn away from the work that he's doing. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. So that's an inquisitive doubt that leads us back to Jesus to reassess 
and forward in faith. But there is another kind of doubt from this passage. And that's a dismissive doubt, the dismissive doubt that doesn't lead us anywhere at all. If John displays the kind of doubt that forces him back to Jesus, the Pharisees and experts in the law in this passage, uh, they display this other kind of dismissive doubt. You know, after Jesus sends John, uh, John's disciples back with this answer, Jesus praises John, doubter that he is. He's the, he's the greatest prophet there's ever been, says Jesus. No one uh, greater than him who was born of a woman. There can be no doubt that he was bringing God's message to the people. And insofar as it had been revealed to him, he had been faithful to deliver it. He hadn't understood fully, but now he knew that this, uh, this Jesus was the Messiah. But Jesus points out that though John was recognized by the people as a prophet, all Israel went out to him in the desert, the religious experts had dismissed his call to repentance. That's what we read. Why had they doubted John? And why had they doubted Jesus too? Jesus gives this explanation in verses 31 to 35. Jesus went on to say, To what then can I compare the, uh, the people of this generation? What are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace, calling out to each other. We played the flute for you, and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge, and you didn't cry. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is proved right by all her children. Uh, unlike John's inquisitive doubt, there is a doubt that dismisses what's unexpected rather than questioning it. For the Pharisees, for the teachers of the law, Neither John nor Jesus fits their expectations. They thought they had God figured out. So when John and Jesus fail to meet their expectations, to do the kinds of things that they think the Messiah should do or a prophet should do, to say the sorts of things that a Messiah should say or a prophet should say, well, they dismiss them. How arrogant are those who believe that God would not do the things that they would not do? And how self-satisfied are those who believe that an almighty God would think and act in the same way they would think and act. It's the kind of attitude that says, I could never believe in a God who fill in the blank, allows suffering. I could never believe in a God who allows suffering. I could never believe in a God who tells me how to live my life. I could never believe in a God who condemns people to hell. Now surely all those things are worth discussing and worth investigating, but to deny that the all-powerful creator of heaven and earth might come to a different conclusion than you, might operate in different ways than you would operate. How smug, right? Dismissive doubt like that of the Pharisees, like that of the experts of the law. 
allows us to remain just what we are, just where we are. It keeps God at a distance. It says we're not going to allow him to change us or to challenge us in any sort of way. Dismissive doubt remains unquestioning. It remains unquestioned. And it ultimately makes us enemies of God, that kind of doubt. There is a good doubt, but there is an evil sort. Remember who eventually led the mobs as they turned against Jesus. It was these dismissive religious experts who thought they knew exactly how God should act. They had spent years asking Jesus questions, not because they were interested in what Jesus had to, to say, not not because they wanted answers, but so that they could catch him out. They were always trying to ask him trick questions, and they only wanted to prove what they already knew. Until eventually, frustrated by the way that Jesus kept outwitting them and kept um, exposing them, frustrated by that, they resorted to lies. We know this man is not from God, so what's a little perjury? in front of Pilate. So as God stood before them in the flesh, telling everyone who would listen, not the things that they wanted to hear, but better things, truths about himself, about his kingdom, about his love for them, about the salvation he was bringing, they chanted, crucify him, crucify him. They always knew they wanted no part of Jesus' kingdom, and in the end, they got exactly what they always knew they wanted. No part in his kingdom. So as we face doubt and disappointment and discouragement, which is inevitable in the Christian life, if it hasn't yet happened to you, you must be very young or very naive, because it will. It surely happens to me. But let's resolve to take those doubts back to Jesus so that he can lead us forward in faith to allow those doubts to reassess what did Jesus promise? What did Jesus say? What should I expect of him? When God isn't doing what you expect, let your eyes be lifted to what he is doing in the world. And Jesus wasn't doing what John Wanted. He wasn't doing what the Pharisees wanted. He was doing something far, far better. He was making peace between God and humanity. He was defeating sin and death. He was showing us the power of God by his resurrection. He was gathering a people for himself from every tribe and nation and tongue, many of which are represented here this morning. That's what Jesus was doing when he wasn't breaking John out of jail. And if we bring our doubts to him today, we will see that he is still doing unexpected things, unexpected but wonderful things in the lives of many. So use your doubt to go back to him. And if your doubt's been more of the dismissive kind, well then please recognize the folly of a dismissive sort of doubt of demanding that an almighty God think and act like you. A God who would only ever act like you and would only ever say what you would say, that's no God at all. And a God that would do the same for me, that's no God at all. 
And we played the pipe for you, but you didn't dance. We sang a dirge and you didn't cry. Jesus Christ will not dance to our music. He will not cry on our cue. But he will do far better things if you will lift your eyes to him. This Advent, as we, we remember his coming as a humble, lowly baby, and we look forward to his coming as a glorious reigning king, use this Advent uh, to refocus on what he has done what he is doing, what he said he will do when he returns. Let's pray. Father, we confess that we very often doubt uh, what you have said is sure and true. Uh, we very often um, are weak in faith when uh, we should feel strong. Please help us to uh, not be crushed by doubt, not be led away from you by doubt, but to rightly use our doubt. And please, as one who would not snuff out a smoldering wick and who would not break a bent reed, please would you restore us in our doubt. Give us faith in Christ, a faith that looks to him even in disappointment and finds glorious good things in what he has said and done for us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.